Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brindle. Special week again this week. We're going with two episodes. We'll have uh, the one and only Dave Simone on tomorrow. A special guest tomorrow on the uh, football podcast as we will be joined by none other than legendary Cincinnati quarterback Tony Pike. So Whoa. that will be a, uh, a good one to listen to. And Tony, as you know, the sideline reporter uh, for 700 WLW on Bearcats games. So Tony, uh, very dialed into the program and excited to have him on tomorrow to uh, talk about the 2-3 and three Cincinnati Bearcat football program. But today, I've got the one and only, and I just created this title for you, Berg. We, we, we've talked about this. We haven't finalized anything uh, in terms of your new title. But I, I'm, I'm now dubbing you the director of content, director of basketball content at BearcatJournal.com, the one and only Justin Berg. Thank you. I, I definitely appreciate that opportunity. It's been a long six and a half months in my mind, ever since the UCLA game ended. I wanted this season to start so bad. Tomorrow will be media day. I couldn't be more excited to go down there, see the players, listen to, you know, ask, make a few questions, do some interviews. Um, just been, just been chomping at the bit, doing a lot of research lately. And I've got a few pieces coming, um, down the pike and, uh, yeah, man. So let's get this going, man. Let's get this season started. Well, we will, we'll start off first with the big news of the day today. And this is something that uh, I hinted at yesterday, and I knew it was coming, and, uh, and it broke this morning at 11 o'clock. The Cincinnati Bearcats will reopen Fifth Third Arena, playing none other, none, none other than the Ohio State Buckeyes. It will be the first time the Buckeyes have played the Bearcats in Cincinnati since 1920. 98 years in the making, Justin Berg. The Buckeyes right. will come back to Cincinnati and take on the Cincinnati Bearcats. Uh, first off, you have to say hats off to Mike Bone. Hats off to, to those that work in the athletic department. Hats off to Mark Berger, who is the director of operations for the UC basketball program, and he's the guy that handles scheduling. He had a big hand in this. Um, big time, big time work to get this done and get Ohio State in to open up the new arena. Yeah, and the last time that these two teams met in the regular season was – Mick's first year, right? And yeah. he had no team. And Ohio State kind of had a team. They only had Greg Oden and all those guys and, you know, Mike Conley Jr. And it was, I think it was in, what was it, in Indianapolis, right? Like the Wooden Classic. It was, yeah, something like that. It was just, was, it was, it was just a, not a fair fight at that point. And so now you think it's, uh, you know, a good opportunity to play the Buckeyes. And, you know, that, that's interesting. And, and when you brought it up to me, earlier I guess it was last week and I was guessing and guessing and I finally landed on them and I was like you know because I grew up with my dad who he went to Ohio State but he never rooted for their basketball team because they were ducked UC all those years that was his one reason for hating them even though he went there and so it it trickled down to me and so I've always been a a, uh I guess you would call me a hater but I, I root against Ohio State basketball uh, so anyway, it's it's nice to see that uh, they made the deal happen. I imagine it, is it because of the new coach Chris Holtman? Was there some kind of deal there, or was it just uh, in the works and they just made it happen? Well, as Mick joked on um, Lance McAllister's show tonight, Holtman came in and said, "You know, I'm two and zero against Mick Cronin, so let's let's go." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, from what I've heard, from everything I've heard, Holtman when he got the job, you know, he had the the press conference where he said, "I want to play," you know, Ohio State and. 
or I want to play Cincinnati and Xavier and Dayton and and reestablish or establish those rivalries and you know those games are going to help us and I think everybody including me said yeah right I'll believe that when I see it and from what I've heard he went to Gene Smith the athletic director and said look I I want to play these games and and I think they're going to make us better I think it beefs up our schedule I think it's it's best for our program in the long run uh Gene Smith was on board now I'm from what I've heard it was uh one of those things where keep it quiet don't let it get out to the boosters because the boosters can uh easily get that shot down if they wanted to but surprisingly everything I've seen today from the Ohio State uh fan base is pretty positive and and I think they got tired of playing East Podunk State and not having any challenging games in their non-conference schedule so I think it's a a a testament to to all parties involved like I said Mike Bone Mark Berger you got to give credit to Chris Holtman for being willing to make this happen at Ohio State um it's just huge I mean this is something, Berg, that this game, when you couple it with the fact that they'll also be playing UCLA, they'll also be playing Xavier in Fifth Third Arena to open that to open the building back up. I, I wouldn't be shocked if that arena sells out for the entire season with season tickets. Like that, yeah. that game might not even get to many plans or, or single ticket sales. That this could be a case where that arena is sold out from day one. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if that even – I think it might have been sold out anyway, though, I mean, with, with uh, just the, the excitement around the new building and how, you know, how poor, the poor shape the other building was in. So maybe people would – and there's also less seats, right? So, but, yeah, I'm sure it's, not, I'm sure it's definitely going to be a factor in that. And, and, and I mean, you, you, it's just a lot of excitement, especially when you got those rivalry – you know, try to create that rivalry game and you already have Xavier. So let's get it going. I mean, it's a it's a big deal. It, it's a really and I you know, it, would it be nice if maybe you know Ohio State was was having going to have one of their better teams? Sure, maybe. But and I did want to point out I, I I've been wanting to make this point uh, in public for a long time. But uh, about that 2006 game, if you had Connor Barwin as the more successful professional at center. Uh, than Greg Oden. Yeah, right. <laughs> you'd have won a lot of money. That the odds would have been long on that. And Connor Barwin has had a much more lucrative, much more successful career than the guy he guarded in that game, Greg Oden. <laughs> I never thought about that. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, I just think, you, you know, the, the 2006 game was it was the only regular season game since Cincinnati beat Ohio State in the NCAA tournament for two national championships. They did meet in the 2012 NCAA tournament, another loaded Ohio State team. Uh, with Jared Sullinger and Aaron Kraft and, um, to, to go to the Elite Eight. But it's so cool to me to, to see the, kind of the, the, the bridges being built between the Cincinnati and Ohio State programs, especially with you know, the hiring of Luke Fickle. That seemed to soften some things. Uh, the head coach at Ohio State is a University of Cincinnati alumni. Um, it, it just seems like maybe some of the um, – animosity and some of the the distaste that has been there between the two programs is has kind of gone by the wayside here of late yeah and, and it just i think it was a lot from what i hear back in the day it was just that ohio state was on higher ground there in the big 10 and uc was in what the great midwest and missouri valley all these conferences that weren't as good and and it's always a recruiting thing that they say well why should we play somebody in our own state and then we might lose a recruit to them if we lose to them, and we should showcase our, our team in other places in the country. And it, it was just all those kind of excuses 
And but yeah, it's great to see. And plus now, I mean, at least the basketball program, it's not on that great a footing at the moment. And Cincinnati is is much more solid. So Xavier, of course. And so yeah, I mean, it, it probably is going to help Ohio State in the long run to play these teams and, and help their players get better and, and also even their their strength of schedule, non conference, and all that stuff. Well, and I think Chris Holtman's a fantastic coach. I think what he was able to do at Butler with, you know, a, a, I don't want to say a secondary level of recruit, but they weren't recruiting like the top teams in the Big East in terms of the rankings, but they were performing like one of the better teams in the Big East. You know, I, I right. think you give him this year to kind of establish his culture in that program. Um, they'll have a talented freshman class that will be taking the floor for the, the very first time in that, you know, 2018-19 season opener. Um I think they'll be back uh, where they need to be or back being a, a team that's uh, very competitive in the Big Ten uh, much sooner than later. Yeah, I agree, too. Um, and, and it's a home-and-home home series, so I don't want that to get lost in the shuffle either. That is a, a situation where, you know, you get to head back to Ohio State and play at Ohio State to open the 2019-20 season. Uh, Cincinnati will also be – in Columbus for football that year, playing at, uh, at Ohio Stadium. So uh, all in all, just a, a very positive uh, development today in a, in a situation, I think, in spite of there always being those, um, you know, well-actually fans out there that, 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 you know, always have to take the contrarian side of things. If you don't think this is going to be – the biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest ticket in Cincinnati sports in quite a while. Uh, I think you're going to be sadly mistaken when you see how this plays out uh, in November of 2018. Yeah, and you know, also a lot of credit goes to Mick Cronin, his staff, and all the players that he's had in the 12 years he's been here because the image of Cincinnati has done almost a 180 since, you know, maybe 15 years ago when it really wasn't that great, um, I guess, in the landscape of college basketball. And there, you can see that they're starting to earn some bigger games, some some schools that uh, you wouldn't think would play them, are starting to play, realizing that it's it's a valuable game, and that uh, they have respect for Mick and his program, and that it, it just it starting from where it came 12 years ago to get to the point where you can schedule UCLA home and home and Ohio State home and home is pretty remarkable. Yeah, without question, and you're going to have those both at Fifth Third Arena when the place opens and. I'm excited to get back in there, even more excited now. Like, I I already kind of get goosebumps thinking about the atmosphere that night because of the new arena, because it's Ohio State, because they should still have a really good basketball team. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's fun to think about and think ahead a little bit. But we also have to think about the here and now. And the here and now of a basketball team that returns Jaron Cumberland, Jacob Evans, Gary Clark, Kyle Washington, adds Kane, adds Kane Broom, uh, a quality bench uh, of guys that can really play behind them, and a situation, Berg, where we have a lot to be excited about walking into that gym tomorrow for media day to see this team begin its journey in 2017-18. Yeah, I mean, that, that starting five, it's just, it, it's got a lot of experience, and, you know, you're, you're, the equation is going to be a little bit different this year with um, the departures of, of Troy Copain and Kevin Johnson, who were great Bearcats, kept the streak alive, getting to the tournament, um, you know, just, just stand-up men, whatever you want to call them. But now all of a sudden you've got 
uh, Kane Broom in there, and you're going to have more Jaron Cumberland. And these are guys who attack the basket, and I think that's something that uh, we'll get into that as we as we get into this uh, discussion. But that's as you if you were following me last year, the year before, that was something that I was always critical of, and um, and so with Kane, it's going to be really interesting to see how he fits in and. From what you're saying, he's been if not the one of the best, if not the best player in practice last year and over the summer. Um, so, but but looking back on his career at Sacred Heart, you know when he did play against the top competition, he didn't do so well. So, so what are you expecting from him? And uh, you know, I guess what would be your concerns looking at, at Kane heading into his first season at UC? Well. I think, you know, the benefit he's had is he's he's had a year in practice to play against high major guys every day. And I think that it should, without question, kind of smooth that transition and give him a lot more of an understanding of how physical the game is when you move up the food chain, how much more talented the, the guy is guarding you or how much quicker or longer the guy is on help side defense to get over and get in your way. That all should be things that now are, you know, pretty ingrained in his head to where he doesn't have to, you know, have a a huge adjustment period. Now, don't get me wrong, there's going to be an adjustment period. You know, you hope that he gets it worked out as quick as possible, but he's playing as the point guard on a new team. It'll be live action for the first time with that team. Um, They're going to have to get used to him. He's going to have to get used to them. Uh, But you would hope with – the the level of talent that's on hand that you're not looking at a very long adjustment period that you're looking at you know it takes a couple games to find their legs and figure out what's going on and then they're ready to go to the Cayman Islands uh, and play in a tournament that's got some solid teams that you know you're not looking at top 50 RPI teams but you know everybody they play in that tournament should be you know a top 150 team and then the chance to get uh, what I think will be an improved Iowa team uh, potentially in the finals. So, you know, I think it's just a, a matter of how, how quickly it happens um, in terms of him just kind of letting free. Um, I think, you know, it, it's been funny, and I, I told you this, through the last couple workout team workout sessions, the, the guy that really came on and really kind of had everybody like, whoa, what's this, is Justin Jennifer. And I think he had a, a bit of a – a realization that, you know, if I if I sit back and I don't fight, if I don't have some 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 big practices and show these guys what I can do, I'm just going to be a four year, you know, mid you know mid level backup point guard for Cincinnati that never really makes an impact on the program. And it seems like his mindset is completely flipped, and he is he has really started to push, and he's really started to uh, to 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 pressure Kane Broom and that, hey, you know what? If you're not ready for this, I am. And I think that right. that's only going to help Kane over the next month because he's got somebody now, you know, that's not just conceding the job to him. He's got somebody right. that's nipping at his heels and saying, no, I want minutes. I want your minutes. Yeah, yeah that's what I had brought up the last, I guess it was two months ago we did the podcast and I was talking about how I was, I was really interested to see how that would develop with, with will Justin just – sit idly by and let Kane come in and play 30 minutes at the point guard slot. And then he's right back to that 10, 12 minutes that he had last year and the year before and never really got big minutes against the best competition. 
Or would he say, you know what, I'm not going to lay down for this. I'm going to bring it and and get some minutes. I'm going to I'm going to go grab some of those minutes and make coach think about who he's going to start and who he's going to play in crunch time. And you know, obviously, Justin's been here for three years, a year longer than Kane, and so he's got a little more experience with the system and everything, and he knows what coach wants. And he's played in games think, here. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think the other thing that Kane's going to have to adjust to is Mick. I mean, it's. Look, the, the the coaching staff, they expect certain things out of their point guards. When Kane was at Sacred Heart, it was pretty much like, get the ball in the bucket, man. Just just right. score. We got no we got nobody else. And so and so he was it was okay that he turned the ball over more than he um, you know, piled up assists. He had more turnovers than assists at Sacred Heart, and it really was just that cuz that wasn't really his deal. He was just put the ball in the bucket and since he was super aggressive, I'm sure he had a charge or two a game and, you know, over-dribbled, over-penetrated, different things like that. Um, but, you know, here, that's, that stuff might not fly. I mean, obviously, Coach, you know, I think, I think they're going to they're gonna try to be a little bit more aggressive this, this year from what you say, but there's a difference between aggressive and reckless. And if he gets into that reckless, uh, you know, area, then Justin will come in and Justin's sound. I mean, he had the second-best assist-to-turnover ratio in the country last year, so – if if Kane's you know getting a lot out of control, then you know coach can just put Justin in there and say, hey, at least I know we're gonna not turn the ball over here. So it's there's gonna be that adjustment. Um, like you said, Justin's you know putting forth a solid effort now. He wants those minutes, and so you got the the battle kind of in practice every day, and and between those two, and see who you know everyone seems to think, hey, Kane's got this job. It's all him. He's a one and done. He's you know, guys, you know all these things you keep hearing. But Justin, man, I, I just, you know, I, I'm not going to bet that he's just going to lay down. I think he's going to fight, and it's going to be great for the team um, to have two guys that are that are really wanting those minutes. And, uh, and like you said, it should hopefully get Kane uh, focused and, um, you know, on the right page. But if it takes him some time, you know, Justin will be more than happy to, to you know, step in and, and do what it needs to be done. Well, and, and one thing that Justin does have a little bit more familiarity with is Mick Cronin is very hard on his point guards. Exactly. And, and last year, you know, Kane didn't really feel the wrath um, when things didn't go well for him because, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't available. He wasn't going to be able to play. So, you, you know, he was the second team point guard. He was, you know, kind of the guy that him and Justin ran the red team. Um, but he never took the heat. And when Mick brings the heat, he brings yeah. the heat. Like, <laughs> he brings the heat. Ask, you know, I should have got Troy on here just to talk about this, and we'll do that at some point. But when Mick brings the heat, he brings the heat. Like, you need to know that, that, that that's how it's going to be. And I think there's a, a little bit of a learning curve. Now, a lot of that will get taken care of here over the next, you know, 30 days as they, you know, get ready for their first exhibition, two exhibition games, and then – um, the, the first game of the regular season. But, I mean, that, that, there's definitely an adjustment period to that. Like, it, it's funny because every year I always, I always ask the freshmen, like, you, you ready for this? And they're like, yeah, man, I, like, I got this. It's basketball. It's just practice. Like, yeah, I, you know, I can handle this. This ain't a big deal. And I'm, I'm always like, all right, get back to me in two days. <laughs> get back to me after three a days this weekend. When you do three practices and three two-hour practices in a day, or you know three ninety-minute practices in a day, whatever the the time you know schedule breaks down to, but um, it's it's different. And I, it's funny. I, I saw Keith today while I was Keith Williams 
while I was at the uh, football media stuff, and he had the same sentiment. Man, it's just basketball. I've practiced hard before. And, you know, everybody just looks and like, mm-hmm, yep. You, you, haven't, you haven't practiced for three and a half hours with Mick Cronin yelling at you. That is, that is not the same thing. And then when you get done, you get to go lift weights. And, and then you go back to your room and you die. Like, that's, it's a little different. So it, it's, yeah. it's always fun to watch that adjustment, especially over, after about the first week, week and a half, uh, everything kind of works itself out. But for that first week, week and a half or so, the, the new guys are the guys that are just, you know, coming into their own or, or, or really facing the fire for the first time. Um, they're not used to it. Let's just say that. And yeah. that, that will definitely be an adjustment period uh, for them here over the next 10 days or so. But Yeah, yeah. For Kane, yeah. I mean, because once the games start, then it gets more serious. And then, yeah, see how he handles that. And uh, so that that's something, obviously, that I think that's probably – you would say that's one of the three biggest storylines on the team, I would imagine. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Because yeah. you just don't know with him. The other guys, you know. Like, the other four starters, you, you know what you're getting um, good and bad. With Kane, we, we, think, we think we know what we're getting. And watching him in practice, you, you know what his talents are like. You know what his skills are like. But you don't really know exactly what you're getting until the lights are on and, and you're playing at, you know, well, BB&T Arena this year. Uh, which is almost sold out, by the way. Uh, almost sold out season tickets at BB&T Arena. So there, there, there might not even wow. be single-game tickets available by the time we get to the season. So um, Yeah, and you, don't, and you only have, what, uh, maybe six or seven games until the Crosstown shootout. So yeah, he, so he'll, he'll get you know, an early test to see, especially it's on the road, you know, how he handles that. And then he comes right back with Florida and UCLA. So... So by mid-December, I think we'll have a pretty good idea of what we have with, with Mr. Broom. Yeah. But um, yeah. So, so for here's something I wanted to ask you about because you, you brought this up in the mid-summer, I think, when they were doing the the workouts. Um, how the it seemed like the pace was faster. They were. It looks like there was more pressing, more get the ball and run, even you know push it even off a of make. Um, do you feel like that is from what you can sense that the coaching staff is saying, you know, we're going to try to just force it down teams throats a little bit more, a little bit more downhill this year. Yeah. I mean, that's all they've worked on the entire off season is playing fast is getting the ball in the basket, press pressure, um, force teams out of their comfort zone, force teams to, to do things that, you know, they're, they're not comfortable with doing, uh, which I guess would be forcing a team out of their comfort zone. I just said the same thing in different ways, back to back. So uh, score, score one for Berg on that one. <laughs> yeah. Good defense, Berg. Good defense. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think that's their intention. And I, I, it hasn't looked like this in a couple years. Um, and, and especially when you've got Kane running one team and Justin running the other team, the point guards are looking to push tempo, and not just via their speed and their quickness, but via, you know, passing the ball up the floor getting it and going and, and being able to find somebody in transition and getting the ball to the right spot, getting the ball to the guy that's in the best position to put the ball in the basket. So um, I think that's 100% their intention. Um, and if it's not what they do, then they spend all summer working on something that, you know, they didn't implement. Um, right. Now, 
and, and people, you know, when you play Wichita State, you're not going to be able to run up and down the floor and score 100 points. That's just like a team that scores 100, you know, 80 points a game. When they play Cincinnati, they're going to score 60 because Cincinnati's really good on taking those things away. So they're going to have to, to, to be versatile in that when the game does slow down, they're going to have to be proficient in the half court. And then maybe that opens up some things because they will be able to get into their offense, and that will allow them to press, and that will allow them to create some of their own tempo. Um, but, you know, it, it would be foolish to just think, you know, they're, they're going to be Loyola Marymount with, with Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball. Um, they are going to have to find a, a half-court rhythm and find what they need to do when the situation calls for half-court offense or when they're not creating a bunch of turnovers in some games because that's just basketball. That's how it happens. You know, one game you'll have 22 turnovers, the next one they'll have, you know, a team will have nine. And, and you've got to be able to win those games when the team only has nine. Um, and that's through having some versatility and not just being one-dimensional. So, you know, there's some of that that I think has worked in, and I know people – flip out and think that's me saying that they're not going to play fast. Trust me, they are. Uh, but you, you have to have that other side of the equation. You have to be able to do both if you're going to be a team that expects to make a long run, to expects to be hanging around uh, on the second weekend in March with a chance to play for a Final Four. Yeah, and, and that's what I was trying to get to, and you, you got there already, but the half court, because you're not going to be able to, to run up and down against the best competition because they're not just going to throw the ball to you. And they're not going to – most teams aren't going to let you just do all you want to do on the offensive class, too. I mean, as, as you've seen the last few years, there's been certain teams, Butler, St. Joe's in the tournament, UCLA this past year, that just didn't let up a lot of offensive boards for UC and, and didn't just throw the ball to them. So, so when you talk about being efficient in the half court, it's not just getting a good shot and not turning the ball over because that's still not enough because that's what they've done. In, in games against the best competition, they still haven't scored enough. And I'm not going to get in. I don't want to. I don't want to, um, you know, release this stat yet because it's just so it's just so mind blowing to me. But I'm saving it for my piece coming up here soon. But let's just say that when you see is a, is aggressive getting to the rim uh, versus when they shoot a lot of jump shots, it's night and day on their point totals. Um, and so I think when you look at Adding in a Kane Broom, who averaged seven free throw attempts a game his sophomore year. Um, Cumberland playing more minutes. He was second on the team last year in free throw rate. Okay, so, and you're taking out Troy Copain, who only averaged three free throw attempts, and Kevin Johnson only averaged one, um, and he averaged five three-point attempts. So I guess what I'm getting at is that, is that they're, they are built to attack even in the half court this season. And so I imagine, and last year, you know, Coach did mention a few times playing downhill, and he was, he was saying that was an emphasis. I know they were working on, like, you know, when they catch the ball, being ready to attack off the catch. I saw that, uh, some drills, of, you know, in practice last year. But I really think that's the key. I really think that is what brings them to the next level. Because, like you said, you can play as fast as you want when you're up against Savannah State and, and even some of the teams in your conference like Tulane. But when you're in, on the road – and and it's a possession game, and you're in that you know working for a shot 25 seconds every time. The other the defense, same thing, back and forth. Possessions are at a premium. Uh, the just shooting and hoping you get the offensive rebound is not the formula. 
to score enough points to beat those good teams in those situations. Yeah, and, and so go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just. I mean, I, I was circling back to just. I mean, that's the point. It's just, and and that's and that's. It's basically letting the defense off the hook. But I understand that when you're defending so hard that it takes a lot of energy, and that's been a point that's been made as well. But either way, if you want to win those games, you can't just settle. You can't let the defense off the hook and hope that you can just get the offensive board. That worked against Xavier last year, uh, just because I think UC just had a hair up their butt and was like, we're not losing this game no matter what, and they went to the glass hard on every shot. But as you've seen against certain teams that, that won't turn the ball over so they don't get out and get easy buckets, you've got to get into the paint. You've got to get to the foul line. They've had so much more success scoring getting to the foul line um, than when, in games when they shoot more threes. It's, just, it's, it's night and day. So, again, Kane, adding him in, Cumberland more minutes. Uh, you, you get guys who are, are downhill attackers more so. And so hopefully that will be the equation this year that will allow you to see a score more against a better competition. Well, and I think where that really plays itself out, Berg, is on the road. Um, exactly. You know, when you're on the road, teams tend to not shoot nearly as high a percentage from the perimeter as they do when they're at home. So if the answer for that is upping your free throw attempts by, you know, if you make eight more free throws on the road than, than you normally did or you did, than you did the year before, all of a sudden you're not averaging 58 points on the road, you're averaging 66. And that gives you a much better chance to win games. I mean, it, it, it's a huge difference. And, and we've seen this team is even as talented as they were last year offensively, uh, the best offensive unit of Mick Cronin's tenure at Cincinnati, they still struggled against good teams on the road. Um, and you hope, with what you mentioned, that that, that that changes that dynamic, that they're able to get more opportunities at the free throw line, uh, more opportunities to tack some points on the board, and, and get that score up. And I think you know, what, what Kane does bring and what the tempo does bring is if you get four extra shots, five extra shots a game, if you go you know, two for four on those extra shots, that's add, that adds four points. And then you add eight on the free throw line, now you're 12 points a game higher than you were before. And that's a difference between a lot of wins and a lot of losses. So yeah. it is critical. And I know we've, we've bantered back and forth about your, uh, your obsession with that stat. And it's not that I disagree with you. It's the correlation, I just think, is different in different scenarios. And I agree, on the road – you, you want to be more aggressive, more attacking than settling for, for open three-point shots. Now, if your three-point shots are coming from penetration, a kick out, and a wide-open look, you take that shot because you've collapsed the defense. A guy's stepping one-two rhythm into the shot. That shot's much more likely to go in than if he's shooting flat-footed or if he's off the dribble. Um, you want that. But what you don't want is just two passes around the perimeter, launch a three, and then hope you can go get the rebound. Uh, yeah, and, when the defense is set. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. And, but the, the game I always think about is two years ago at VCU, they got to 69 in that game, and I think they shot 35 free throws. And, and they shot so bad from the field in that game that if, they don't, if they're not that aggressive, they lose that game, and then it's bubble time on that. I mean, that was a huge road win for them. So they didn't win that many good, you know, that, that, that many uh, quality, they didn't have that many quality wins that year. And so that, that aggressive, that, that's what I've been. You know, we've been bantering, like you said, back and forth about it. But when I went into the numbers, I looked at – I mean, I've been on, on this for two months, looking at every possible angle. I, I, I got the synergy account. I've been looking at everything. And, it, and I, all of a sudden, it dawned on me, and I looked at that, and I looked – I was like, wow, it's amazing, the difference. So, again, like I said, Kane and, and Cumberland, those guys attack downhill. 
So that's I think that's what we're looking for from Cincinnati this year to get they got to get to that next step and the next step offensively is can you still score on the road or neutral against the better competition who doesn't just throw the ball to you and let you you know do all you want to do on the offensive glass. Well, and that's that's what's going to you're not making a run unless you can do that. I'm sorry. I think a perfect example of what you're talking about is is Sean Kilpatrick's senior year. Yep. That team was dreadful offensively. If that team didn't get to the line like they did that season, they would have lost an extra five games that year. Agreed. So I'll give you that. It, yeah, it's just if you look through, you can look down the last ten years or so, and UC just has never been they've, – they've been down near the bottom of the country in percentage of points from the foul line. They just don't get there. So what happens is you go on those droughts because you're just shooting jumpers a lot of times in the 10-minute period. If you're getting to the line consistently, you don't have as many droughts. Then by the end of the game, you end up with an extra 8, 10 points, and now you're, you're getting closer to 70 instead of barely even sniffing 60. Yeah, And, and that, get, like you said, gives you a much better chance in those tough scenarios. Well, and, and, and this is an interesting roster in general just because – not only do you have three guards that can that can attack off the bounce, but you also have two big men that are both adept at, at scoring on the block or stepping out and hitting you know a 15 footer out to a three pointer. Uh, you've got some versatility with Gary Clark and Kyle Washington. So, I mean, when, in terms of you know versatility and and skill and ability on offense, I mean, when's the last time you went one through five on a UC roster and, and had this type of skill? Yeah. I- Probably 2,000, I would imagine. But the other thing that does is open up driving lanes when you have to honor all that stuff. And so hopefully they use them. Absolutely. And, and they should have no issue keeping a defense honest because if you want to zone this team, they're going to kill you, I think. I, I agree. And last year they did. I mean, that, that was the best performance they've ever had against the zone. Um, definitely under Mick. And I, I can't – you know, you remember the old Huggins years, the pass around the perimeter, Chuck. Um but they they were over a point per possession uh, at zone defense against the zone last year. So yeah, I mean it should probably continue this year for sure. So for, just to catch everybody up, Berg has been since he returned from his honeymoon. He has done nothing but crunch numbers. Like you could be an analytics guy in the NBA right now <laughs> with the amount of numbers you have crunched. So he is going to be hitting you with a ton of numbers. A ton of statistics, a ton of uh, <clears throat> breakdowns on on what the numbers say throughout. I'll explain this season. them. Yeah, yeah, I'll explain them. I mean, that they're they're they have to be put into context, of course. But it's interesting to go look into these deep, you know, deep dive into these statistics and see. Oh yeah, that's what I thought. Or or wow, I didn't realize that this guy rated this high in this thing. And you know, it, it, they 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 cover every every possible angle of, of a basketball game, and so it's been yeah, it's been very enjoyable to, to dive in there. I like doing it, but again, after crunching them all, it really came down to free throws and threes. It was amazing, and you'll see that stat shortly when I when I post that article. Um, on the wing, I don't think you could have two really more different players than Jaron Cumberland and Jacob Evans in terms of style. But I think those two guys complement each other really well, and both of them have incredibly high skill and talent level. And then you add, you know, a guy like Keith Williams, um, who we've talked about a ton, who's a slasher, who's got great athleticism, long arms, high basketball IQ, 
Um, and, and you mix him with Trevor Moore, who I think we're going to see a decent amount this season. Another kid, great basketball IQ, um, big-time shooter. And the, the way that those four guys complement each other on the wing, I think, uh, is another thing that's really a positive for the Cincinnati roster because you're not – you're not going to have two guys that kind of have the same game, that take up the same space on the floor. You're going to have guys that we can go to, to this guy for this specifically or that guy for that specifically. You can play off of matchups. Um, and you're, I think they're really going to test opponents' perimeter defense with, with those guys on the floor. Yeah, and, and with Cumberland and Evans, you've got such versatility with the fact that they can both score both inside and outside, but they can also set up their teammates. You saw Cumberland last year with a couple dribbles, draw the defense, kick, I mean, just like a veteran. And and you didn't see a ton of uh, assists for Evans last year, but he definitely has that capability. They can both get an outlet pass or a rebound and go and create something either for themselves or for others. So, I mean, you're, you've got everything you could possibly want. A lot of toys for the point guards this year. Um, from those two, but here's something, and just real quick to go back to the synergy thing. So synergy has this scale, right? And it's, it's basically a one through six scale, one being excellent, six being poor. And on UC's roster last year, there were only two players who ranked excellent, both offensively and defensively. And it was Evans and Cumberland. So, uh, and Cumberland as a freshman, I think it might come as a shock a little bit that he would rank that high defensively. But, um, but then when you think about how his basketball IQ is and he knows where to be, he led the team in steal rate last year. So you, you had no drop-off with him. He, he reads. He knows what's going on. It doesn't matter that he's not the quickest guy in the world because he's so smart and he, he understands the flow of the game and the tendencies and stuff. So um, it's interesting that you, you, know, you got both of those guys who are as high you can rank on both sides of the ball. And, and as far as Keith and, and Trevor, like you said, they're – you know. One's a slasher, one's a shooter, but you also have that uh, kind of a little bit of swagger for them both, right? One from Brooklyn, one from Houston. So, um, you know, you, you got a lot of op- options on the perimeter, and, and I think for Kane and, uh, and Justin, you know, you got a lot of ways that you can create opportunities. They'll, they'll probably get mad at me for telling this story, but I thought it was funny. Uh, uh, Keith and, and Trevor, being in the same class, being, you know, relatively the same position, whatever, uh, the two of them like to uh, playfully jaw back and forth between each other. And Keith was giving Trevor a hard time about his offer list <coughs> coming out of high school. And Trevor looked back at him and said, bro, we're both here. Like, y- 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 <laughs> you ended up at the same place I ended up. It didn't matter who had offers from where. We're both here. <laughs> and uh, dude, Trevor, personality-wise, I know you got to know him just a little bit from from some of the stuff meeting him out on the road. He's one of my favorite personality kids that that have come through the program. I, I the kid cracks me up, and he's a fun kid to talk to, fun kid to be around. Um, and I can't wait until he's a, a bigger part of the program so we can get him in the press room and get him some questions because I think there's going to be uh, similar to how Troy was. I think there's going to be a lot of laughs. Uh, once he gets a bigger role in this program and and is the guy that we're talking to regularly. Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't know, Keith seems like a qu- more quiet fella. Is that right? Um, if you don't, on the surface, yes. Once you get to know him, he's not. Once you get to know him, the, the Brooklyn in him comes out, and he'll trash talk, and he'll laugh, and he'll have some fun. Um, but, but just getting to know him, I think it's going to take a little while to get that 
that the personality that you see behind closed doors to come out, you know, when the cameras are on. Now, reminder to everybody, media-wise, we don't get to talk to those kids until after uh, the Christmas break. The, fresh, right. the freshmen. Yeah. So we'll have access to the freshmen here in, you know, a couple months, two months, two and a half months. But uh, until then, take my word for it. They're both fun. Uh, Ellie, Ellie doesn't speak a whole lot of English yet. Um, Mamadou likes to talk. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I, I, I think that might, um, he's going to have a learning curve on, uh, when to talk and when not to talk when practice is going on. <laughs> Cause I think the guy with the whistle is going to let him know <laughs> to, uh, to be quiet a little bit more frequently than he's used to being quiet. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe not even those, probably not those two words either. And he probably... A different phrase. Maybe a little more animated. Maybe a little <laughs> bit more animated. Um, now, now, do you? I mean, it's too early to tell if 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 one of those two, Mamadou or um, Ellie, would be redshirted this year, or do you think now that Quadri's out of the picture that you would want to keep them all and just make sure you have enough depth down there? I think numbers wise, you have to, one of them is likely to redshirt. Okay, it's going to be determined over the next five weeks which one it is. But I, I just I, – six big men is – six guys for two spots is a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's – and especially when two of the – you know, if you've got a rotation of three and everybody's playing 17 minutes, whatever that – you know, whatever the math comes out to, um, that's one thing. Or, you know, 13, 14 minutes and you're just rotating and, and using bodies and using your numbers. But you've got Gary Clark and Kyle Washington, like – yeah, they're going to play a lot. They're going to play a lot. And you've got Trevor Scott or Trey Scott and Isaiah Brooks, and they're going to get a lot of minutes. So, you know, it's a situation where I think it would just be wise for one of those guys to redshirt, and, you know, we'll find out who is as October c- continues into November and we get a better feel for things. But I can't imagine six active guys going into the season and, and, and burning a year on one of those guys that – you know, you both. You think both of them are going to be able to help you down the road because there's quite a bit of talent in both those kids. There's some work to 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 get it all out. There's some work to um, make sure that those guys, you know, develop and become as good as they can be. I think Mamadou right now is much more skilled offensively. Uh, Ellie is obviously much more skilled uh, blocking shots and rebounding. Now, Mamadou might have some louder block shots, but I mean, just fundamentally, Ellie. Ellie has great shot-blocking instincts. I mean, there's been a couple times, like Gary Hook went to that patented um, duck-in move, got to his right hand that's money, and Ellie's left-handed went right up with him and blocked it. Wow. Everybody in the gym was like, whoa, nobody Yeah, Yeah, Brian didn't even block that shot. Nobody blocks that shot. Now, Gary claimed afterwards that he was fouled, (laughs) which I don't know that he was. But nobody blocks that shot. And Ellie just, you know, and he had been practicing against him for a little while, so he had, he had had the timing on it down a little bit better. But he just met him up at the square and, and, and turned it back. And, and like I said, everybody in the gym was just kind of like, the gym almost stopped for a second. Like, did that really just somebody block that? Get, whoa, all right, big fella. All right, big fella. I see where you're coming from. Um, and the good news is both of them just, they play so hard. And they get up and down the floor. They run incredibly well. Um, I don't think it's going to take long to get them. And they both, you know, Mamadou, uh, 
maybe a little bit more um, to, to, to mature and, and to be a guy that's really pushed. Um, Ellie is just work, all work, and, and really wants to, to be a very good basketball player. So, and, and like I said, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write off the, the impact that Trey Scott and Isaiah Brooks are going to have, especially, no, no. especially if this team is playing at, at a very high tempo. Uh, we have seen Gary and Kyle, it, you know, they, they get winded if, if they're pushed for a six, seven-minute stretch. So the, the rotation of those big guys is going to be very interesting to watch. Definitely, and I think, as I said before, the, the Brooks versus Washington for some of those minutes is, is what I'm looking at. I think you, especially when you're in a situation if you need some defensive stops and, and you've got Nasir, 6'11", solid, can get up and block some shots. He runs the floor, too, on the other end, so he's pretty valuable, and Bay, who, you know, he started out early in the season last year, really, he found a role when they were trying to defend the perimeter and make sure teams weren't getting threes, doing that switching five. He was really valuable, in fact, in the Marshall comeback and then the Temple game right after that. Um, but he, but as the season went on, he didn't have as much of a role. So in the tempo situation, he should be, he should thrive this year, right? Yeah, and his, you know, I think the one thing that's really improved with Trey is his jump shot. There's more arc on it. He's shooting it with more confidence. Now, I'm not going to call him, you know, a knockdown shooter at this point, but I do think there's definitely some value in him increasing his ability uh, to, to, to stretch the defense. That's something that, you know, from talking to him that he really understood coming out of last season, that his game was, was kind of limited because he didn't have that aspect to it. Because, he could, you know, if, if, if he catches it at 15 feet, Maybe his biggest asset is his passing ability, but if they don't have to respect it, they just sag. Right. Now if you have to, have to you know, respect that 15-footer, if he can knock it down, the defense has to come out, the passing lanes open up a little bit more, and some of the things that, that he really is, is skilled at you know, you know, or where his skill level is high become more of a factor if he's able to stretch the defense a little bit. And you know, I don't think necessarily you're going to want him out there you know, taking two or three threes a game. But if he continues to show what he has shown this summer, which, you know, a lot of that when they – I don't really pay attention to, like, shooting drills because that's not live action. You're not sped up. You're not – Pressured. Pressured into to having to, you know, do your mechanics. Like Shaq Thomas every offseason looked like his jumper was going to be fixed. And then he would get to live action and it would be back to a line drive. But Trey – and a lot of the live action stuff that they've been doing looks to have much better rotation, much better arc on it. Um, so, you know, you'll, you'll look at the development of that and say, if he can give you, you know, a decent percentage uh, on the mid-range shot and knock down 40 45% of those looks, it just it adds a different element to his game and makes him much more impactful uh, as an offensive player. Because with Trey, he's not a back-to-the-basket guy. He's never really been a low block scorer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's, not, he's a little bit of a tweener offensively, yeah. so he's got to find ways to be effective. You don't post him up and throw it to him on the block, and, and think he's going to be Gary Clark. Well, nobody so, is. Nobody's Gary. Clark. No, yeah. I, I understand, that, <laughs> sir. But you just, that's just not part of his game yet, um, and it might not ever be. It was never really part of Justin Jackson's game. What Justin learned was how to play facing up from 15 feet. 
and Trey needs to learn some of that. And, and, and I think he's done a pretty good job of the, this offseason. Um, I think he's been much improved over what I saw uh, coming into last year. Yeah, I mean, the roster seems pretty stacked. So, and then obviously That's, that depends on obviously how Brim does. But, um, yeah, some guys sliding into some roles and, and a lot of firepower and, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of different, a lot of versatility on a lot of different lineups you can run out there. You could go with a smaller lineup, faster lineup. You could go with a big jumbo lineup. So I mean, you could really go, what, Jacob and Jaron as the only two guards and go with a jumbo lineup in there if you wanted, right? So there's That's never going to happen. Well, you could. You could. You could. I mean, I'm, I'm not Kane, saying for Kane a whole game. Are gonna I'm not saying for a whole I, game. I'm just saying. I know. I'm saying for four seconds. I don't think that's going to happen. I think yeah, well, Kane and Justin will be, uh, unless there's major foul trouble, yeah. which could be, you know. Hey. But that's that's your hand being forced, not this is what we want to do. I know. But I'm, well, either way, there's a lot There's a lot of options for there is. Mick, Mick Cronin this year. I, I will say this. When watching, when they go live, there aren't a lot of weaknesses. There aren't a lot of, like, we're going to attack this guy when we go, you know. And guys, they, they, they work out together. They practice together. They play open gym together. They know what a weak link looks like. And there's not a whole lot of, like, when this guy's on you, it's time to attack. Now, there have been days where, you know, a certain guy gets the best of a certain matchup or whatever the case may be. But for the most part, it, it's it, the talent level – I. I the talent level at the starting lineup is better than the second team, but the second team isn't that far behind. Yeah. There are guys in that unit that can play with those guys on the first team. Okay. So I, I think that that kind of depth, that kind of um, ability to push yourself in practice, and, and really there's not going to be any complacency from day to day You've got a chance to get better every day, uh, and I think that's going to be big for this program. I think it's going to be big for the roster, yeah. and I think it's, uh, it's going to be a really, really fun season at Bank of, uh, BB&T Arena. Sorry, not Bank of Kentucky anymore. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's a, it's a packed schedule, non-conference. I really think the, the American is, is going to be much, much improved this year. Certain teams were almost there last year, like UCF and Houston. Uh, Memphis will be better, I'm sure. Same with Tulsa. Then I really think that I really think that Temple and UConn are the sleepers. I think that people are going to think, ah, they weren't that good last year. I don't know. I don't know. I think they're going to be tough. My point is that UC was able to go 16 and two last year because there weren't that many tough road games. No, you're right. And this year, I feel like you know, there's five arenas where it's going to be really tough coming out of there with a win. So. I, I have a feeling that UC will probably lose maybe either the you know, maybe a couple more games than they did last year, but be a better team by the end of the season and 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 have and be poised to make a deeper run. Um, then because I don't think they were as tested this past season. Um, they won thirty games and and you know maybe yeah, obviously nine tournament nine games against tournament teams, but in every other game there were not that many tests except for UCF on the road, I guess you would say. And so I think it's just going to be a tougher road all the way through from you know the end of november all the way through the beginning of march when you get to that the postseason that they should have seen everything and they should know everything they need to know about how to how to beat a good team i agree with that except for uconn okay well hey well we can agree to disagree on that but i i still think they're going to be very difficult to beat especially up there 
That guy with the dump in his pants is still the coach, right? He is. He definitely is. But he's got some talented players, and, and they got a major chip on their shoulder. So that's that's my angle on that one. Yeah, I just don't think they're as tough as UConn used to be. Yeah, they, Maybe Alti Gilbert and, and Terry Larrier give them a little bit more of that. I, we'll see. That team, the, 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 the team that I saw them put out on the floor last year, those guys, a lot of those guys were in it for number one, and they were not – they were not real interested in grinding things out and doing what's necessary to get a win. So until yeah. I see that change, uh, I'm, my jury is still out on UConn. And uh, I also I think Memphis is going to be awful, bro. Oh, awful. I forgot they lost the brothers. They lost everything. Okay. Well, all right. Well, we'll we don't you know screw Memphis anyway. But <laughs> I still think I, yeah I'm I'm in the I'm in the I'm in the uh, the opinion of like UConn's going to be a scary team to play. Uh, and you, you know, whenever a team gets knocked down as far as they got knocked down last year, they got a lot of pride. You know, they got, you know, they got some some decent talent, not the best UConn talent we've ever seen. Add it all up, and I think they're going to be a pesky team, and uh, they're going to they're going to surprise some people. I think this year. No, I, I, I'll give them that. There's going to be some games that that they're going to be in, or they're going to they're going to give a scare to some people. I'll believe those that they win those games when I see it. But we'll do. Yeah, we'll do a we'll do a conference preview yeah, show in a December in December, yeah, in December when we get a little bit closer to, to conference play, yeah, and we'll take a look at all those teams and yeah, the, the big thing for this conference, Berg, uh, to before we get out of here, they've got to they've got to get some stuff done in the in the out of conference portion of the schedule, exactly, because that's what's killed this conference. They they're not winning any of the big games now unfortunately a lot of them are on the road a lot of them they've they've gone into that buy game mentality or whatever you know get a payday um and try to sneak out wins uh but this conference has got to start getting some scalps in the out of conference portion if it's going to be taken seriously one and if it's going to be a a league that gets four or five bids in the ncaa tournament because if they go out and lay an egg in the non-conference portion again what they do in the conference beating each other up isn't going to do any good for anybody. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. And Central Florida, they want to make that next step. Same with Houston. They didn't. Neither one of them beat anybody. They didn't really play that many good teams last year, but that was why they weren't there. I mean, and they were, they were never really that close to the bubble because they had nothing. I mean, you got to have something on that side of the ledger. And and Cincinnati did last year. SMU got a scalp with Michigan. I think they beat them pretty good. And so, but yeah, no one else did anything. And so only two teams got in. Very, very valid point. UConn will have plenty of tests. And some of the other teams really only have, they're only going to have one or two opportunities. So they need to, they need to make good. Yeah. All right, man. I'll see you tomorrow. Yes, sir. Two o'clock. Let's do it. Two, two o'clock tomorrow. Stay tuned to BearcatJournal.com for continuing coverage of the Cincinnati Bearcats opening day of practice. We will have plenty of stuff. Check out the Snapchat. Bearcat Bearcat Journal is the tag on the Snapchat. I will uh, be Snapchatting some things from down in the uh, practice gym uh, as available, um, depending on the Wi-Fi situation down there. But uh, tune into that and uh, tune in. We'll have some video from Mick Cronin. I'll have a couple players. Uh, Berg will have a couple stories out of it. We will have plenty of coverage of opening day of practice for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Tune in tomorrow. As I mentioned, we will be joined by former Cincinnati quarterback Tony Pike on the football podcast with Dave Simone and myself. And uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for the director of basketball content. 